Hello and welcome to What on Earth, a podcast addressing changes and challenges in the minerals, energy and the associated supply chain industry sectors. This podcast addresses what is happening under the earth, above the earth, in Australia and around the world. It addresses the question, what in the world is going on? What on earth? Hello, my name is James Scotland and joining me each episode to answer... Uh, these questions is my colleague and friend, Tennant Reid. Tennant is the Principal Advisor for the National Public Policy for Australian Industry Group. His specialty is in climate, energy and environment, so he's perfect for this podcast. It's always nice to have a chat uh, and to hear his insights. So hello, Tennant. Good morning. And also Paul Hodgson, an old drinking buddy of mine. And when I say drinking, I mean obviously coffee. Paul is a business and industry commentator with a deep knowledge in the latest changes and developments in the resource and energy sector, and he has long had uh, a fascination and an interest in assisting businesses to understand and manage innovation and change, and I'm looking forward to hearing his insights uh, as to what it means for our business. Hello, Paul. Hi, James. Hi, Tennant. Good to join you. Welcome, guys. Before we start... We know what we're talking about, but let's tell everyone what this podcast is for and why. We all know we are facing changes in our industry. The minerals, mining, new energy, and the codependent supply chains are in transition. Not just disruption, which we've had to deal with, but transition. The gradual yet definite change in the way the industry operates, finances, is influenced, and the way and the what it delivers. The podcast is for busy professionals like yourself, keen to understand what's going on, to make sense of the seemingly daily industry announcements and developments, and try to find clarity in the chaos. Each episode will address a topic or recent announcement, and we'll unpack it, look at it from all sides, and discuss how the issues will affect your business. We'll look for the opportunities, the challenges, and the reality. The podcasts are brought to you by the Australian Industry Group. For those who don't know, AR Group is a peak national employer organisation representing traditional, innovative and emerging industry sectors. It's my pleasure to be the General Manager of the Minerals, Energy and Supply Chain Sectors. AR Group has been acting on behalf of businesses across Australia for nearly 150 years. It has had a long and fascinating history of understanding change and transition in industry. And frankly, I'm excited to be involved with the organisation now that Australia is entering a disruptive period of fundamental change. So, what in the world is happening? The big news recently has been the global activity regarding energy. The recent meeting of global leaders resulted in major announcements from the US and from the Australian Prime Minister. Let's talk about where Australia is positioned in terms of the world and where it's positioned as the world marches towards net zero. Here's the broad view. With the US moving quickly to a net zero target, all of our major trading partners have or are putting into law the requirements of net zero. China, the US, Asia, the EU, UK, New Zealand, all have or are setting firm targets. And for Australian business, this means we have to understand 
that to sell our products into these countries, we will need to be at net zero. Our international buyers will not want to take on carbon credits. And if you think about it, this in uh, supply chain terms, if we sell a product to an Australian company who wants to sell it overseas, they will also expect this to be at net zero. Managing and recording net zero will become fundamental to the way we do business. Or will it? It's all very confusing. On Wednesday, one of the world's largest economies and uh, a, tr- a major trading partner of Australia, Germany, said it was moving to moving its targets five years earlier to 2045. And this move has been designed to put pressure on its global partners to increase their efforts. Clearly, the pressure is on to improve our business ability to achieve net zero. So with that intro, let's talk about it. Let's pull it apart. Tenant, in November last year, you wrote Australia is far off course to achieve the goal of net zero. It's been six months since then. Where are we now? So in some ways, we've made progress. And in other ways, we are no further along than we were. The federal government is gradually moving towards the adoption of a goal of net zero emissions by 2050. Uh, They have been trying out progressively stronger variations of language around that. But uh, while uh, that that journey is underway, the policies uh, and uh, initiatives to actually achieve that at the national level are, are much more embryonic. There are a, a range of useful uh, grant programs, finance programs, including some that were strengthened or, or had more money added to them in the PM's announcements around the, the Biden Climate Summit, that will be helpful for getting some activity going for uh, deeper decarbonisation in areas around hydrogen and carbon capture and storage. But there's a huge gap in policy uh, between policies that can be useful in getting a demonstration going and policies that are useful in providing finance to things that are basically already commercial, in between there is a a no man's land or a valley of death which uh, needs to be bridged by policies that drive mass uptake and rollout and deployment of low emissions technologies or zero emissions technologies that are still quite expensive compared to high emitting technologies. In the electricity space, there has been a lot of progress driven by enormous policies in Australia and around the world like the renewable energy target. We don't yet have any equivalence to that when it comes to uh, the rollout of uh, technologies to deeply reduce Uh, scope one emissions, direct emissions from industry, transport. Uh, There's there's a lot of gaps. Now, at the state level, we do have firmer commitments from uh, all the states to net zero emissions by 2050, if not before. But they are uh, a, a bit behind the eight ball on fleshing those pol- those out with implementing policies as well. New South Wales has got a very ambitious electricity sector policy and uh, is developing initiatives in heavy industry as well. Victoria uh, just announced a, uh, a set of deeper midterm targets to halve its emissions 
by 2030. Uh, but again, most of the activity there is in electricity, some in the land sector. So I would say there is a long way to go yet before Australia is clearly on a pathway to achieve net zero. We, we shouldn't underestimate the importance of the electricity sector and the progress that's taken place in um, charting a path to net zero. Uh, at this point, the, the heated arguments are uh, in electricity are about how we will get from 90% emissions reductions to 100% or more. What are the, the best uh, technologies to firm up renewables? How high can renewables share really go? Uh, but the, the path to 90% is, is, is a lot clearer. That is not the case in steel or uh, aluminium or cement. Uh, it is not the case in heavy transport that it's that clear yet how we're going to get there. We're not the only ones in the world grappling with those practical challenges, but so far we have a, a much thinner array of policies uh, to get there and, and grappling with the, uh, the heavy lifting involved than some of the other major economies. It sounds like you're saying that the challenges are multi, multi-pronged. multi We've got issues with policy, we've got industry issues, across industry issues, and state issues that are all quite lumpy. Paul, I, I noticed the other day that... Uh, our exports of iron ore and coal are still very high, whilst our other exports are dropping, mainly due to China. Uh, and uh, a report today that I saw said that uh, Vietnam, one of our major trading partners, will continue to increase the amount of coal it purchases until 2030, and then it will drop off into renewables. So it sounds like not just us in Australia, but all around the world, it's operating at different paces, at, at different uh, 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 peaks and troughs. Do you think that's right? And what does that mean for us, James? Uh, look, a great question. I think it's. I think it's going to be lumpy. It's going to be lumpy like the coal that uh, that Indonesia is going to continue <laughs> to use up until uh, twenty thirty, and then start dropping off. Um, and and look, you've only really got to look at all the factors around the world. I mean, various countries are going to have uh, different levels of political will. Um, they're going to have different access to resources, uh, both renewable and, and also sometimes strengths in existing fossil fuels. Uh, they're going to have access to uh, different technologies and different circumstances. So it is going to be different across the world. Um, and, you know, it's quite important, I think, to make the point in net zero as well. It doesn't mean we're going to eliminate um, uh, putting carbon into the atmosphere. It just means that we're going to balance that out with the amount of carbon we're pulling out of the atmosphere. Um, and the Australian government and other places around the world are putting um, uh, investment into things like carbon capture and storage as well. So um, there's a range of technologies and a range of solutions. There's no silver bullet to get to net zero um, and certainly not the one that all countries are going to be um, uh, picking up and using. Um, there will be a, uh, a tapestry, rich tapestry of solutions and some of those solutions won't work um, some of them are still at the experimental stage some of this perhaps being tested and trialed in demonstration but at uh, broad scale commercial application uh, they won't make a, a huge amount uh, of um, uh, or, or they just won't work at that scale um, what say you tenant uh, so i 
I, uh, I agree very much with Paul on the diversity of solutions that are going to be involved, but businesses also need to think about how uh, their solutions will look in the context of what others are doing. So uh, if you're trying to achieve net zero emissions in your business today, you may be able to do that with quite a lot of reliance on offset credits uh, from uh, projects to reduce deforestation or reforest land or, or, or do other things outside of the limits of your own business. But in a world where everybody is going for net zero, uh, those credits are going to be hotly sought after and you may actually not be able to rely on them. You may, you will very likely need to look at more fundamental transformation of your own production processes or your transport modes or, or, or other things. So uh, looking at the, the price of offsets today is not a great guide to what your options will be in 10 or 15 years when uh, the, the, the pace of global action has gotten to the point where uh, it's, it's a lot harder to rely on paying others to offset what you're doing. So, so both of you saying that offset is a traditional um, transitional activity. You know, go towards offset and then head towards whatever the, the future is. Once we see the future more clearly, well, I'd say there absolutely will be uh, negative emissions activities. So pulling carbon out of the air, whether through uh, growing plants or through direct air capture machines or otherwise, in a net zero world. And probably we will actually need to go for a net negative emissions world down the track to start pulling back out some of what we've collectively put into the atmosphere. But there are limits to how much of that negative carbon can be done without you know, turning the land area of India into energy cropland or uh, devoting a, a large fraction of the energy output of our civilization to atmospheric carbon capture. Uh, so everybody needs to think about the, the, the total context which they'll be operating in and uh, not make the mistake of thinking that they will be the, the ones who don't need to actually change that much within their processes. It, it, there's going to be negative emissions. There's not going to be enough negative emissions that are achievable to offset everybody just doing what they're doing more or less today. It sounds a bit like offset is uh, like, uh, like insurance in my business. I can do two things. I can insure my business against an accident or I can make sure I operate my business so I don't have an accident. Uh, one is go for offset and then eventually get a situation in place where I don't need offsets. I've got a, uh, a process in place. Uh, Paul, thoughts? Yeah, look, uh, absolutely. And I think it's probably worth mentioning as well that sometimes one of the simplest and, and, and cheapest ways for a business uh, to sort of be heading towards net zero is, is plain old energy efficiency. Uh, which which often goes missing in the in the exciting heady world of uh, new technologies and uh, renewables and hydrogen and even carbon capture and storage. 
But energy efficiency, and I know the New South Wales government, I think, is putting a significant amount of money into uh, grants for some of their large energy emitters, uh, sorry, emission um, intensity businesses to, to upgrade plant. Um, and uh, certainly in the manufacturing sector, there's been waves, I think, of energy efficiency, but there is, uh, there's still plenty to be done to actually upgrade uh, plant and equipment and to look at processes and looking at maybe how you're scheduling your work. And certainly with the shifts of load towards renewables as well, you may even be looking at how you actually operate your business from a time perspective um, as well to actually uh, you know minimise some of those emissions that might be happening. So um, there's, there really is a, a, a buffet. Um, I think we talked about a buffet uh, in the past, but a, a buffet of options of of how this works for each business, um, but you know, uh, you know, I'll wave the flag here for a bit of plain old energy efficiency as well. In some of the podcasts we've been doing lately, um, oh, sorry, some of the webinars we've been doing lately, there seems to be this question of if I'm a manufacturer, am I going to have some sort of mini hydrolysis uh, electrolysis plant at the back that is creating hydrogen for me to run my business? Uh, is that what it's going to look like in the future, or, or I'm going to have heat sinks from from uh, electricity generated from renewable energy? What are you talking about there, Paul, in terms of energy efficiency? Well, it really depends on the manufacturer. Um, so I think there's a, um, you know, it's for each business, I think, to sort of say, what's my relationship with energy and, and materials? Um, uh, not not just within my own processes, but what are the products that I produce, for example, and how are they used, and what's the energy efficiency of those? How are they used by uh, by customers, um, and how and, and those materials that go into them, and how recyclable are they? So they sort of then tips into the circular economy type aspects, I suspect, of of moving towards net zero as well, rather than sort of linear chains of material production and and disposal. Um, we're looking at that much more circular. Economy, and I think, uh, particularly in things like plastics and its relationship with the uh, with the petrochemical industries, um, but looking as uh, as Tennant said, with with aluminium and with steel and with cement and with other other raw materials, um, it's it, it's a really it's a really interesting one for each manufacturer to look at. Some of them will go into direct generation themselves, and a lot of them are now, you know, putting. Uh, uh, solar arrays on their roofs, um, maybe having battery backups, um, maybe uh, a whole range of different aspects. Um, I don't think they're all going to have an electrolyzer or kind of electro electrolysis plant or something, but some of them, some of them will. And again, a bit like we were talking at the country level, for particular businesses, depending on where you're based in terms of the national electricity market and access to the grid, um, how much your processes can be electrified and how many of them can't. Um, how much you might be using gases as a feedstock, um, as well as an energy source. Um, a whole range of different um, aspects will come into play. So, um, uh, you know, that, that, that's not a simple answer for a business, but I think it's, uh, there is quite a lot of options out there for them to explore and certainly lots of uh, advice that they can seek, uh, often quite freely as well. You, you might me remember something, uh, a, a webinar that we did last week, uh, which is on the, the LinkedIn site, uh, Logan Energy in uh, England talked about setting up hydrogen refueling stations along the highways of Great Britain because trucks will be running on hydrogen, cars will be running on electricity. We haven't seen any <laughs> any of that in Australia. I, I 
I think I saw an electricity generator at uh, the airport the other day. Um, but in New Zealand, I've seen them, and I know that they're happening around the world. Why, why aren't we there yet? Why aren't we seeing these kind of this kind of infrastructure in place on our highways and byways? And and should it be hydrogen electricity? Simple question. <laughs> Wow. That, that's, uh, that's the uh, billion dollar question, I think, James, about whether it's hydrogen or electricity. I saw, and, and I think it's probably, you know, uh, Tennant talked about the electricity sector is doing a really a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of the uh, uh, renewables and the like. But you look at transport, you look at industrial, you look at agriculture, you look at other uh, energy, uh, sorry, emissions uh, intensive industries. Um, uh, there are perhaps a lack of um, fuel standards, for example, and emission standards in the in the, the vehicle fleet, um, uh, uh, prices on carbon, and uh, I guess incentives for reducing emissions in the industrial sector that don't exist perhaps in the electricity sector so much. Um, but you know, I saw just last week that uh, someone's got a, a plan for a route between Sydney and Brisbane where they'll actually, uh, uh, you know, at each. At, at, different sort of stops, you'll, you'll take your battery out for the truck and you'll put it back in and it'll take two or three minutes to change a battery over. Uh, so it'll be a bit like the, the gas bottles you might pick up at the service station when you're, you're going to have a barbecue um, and it's a swap and go kind, kind of system. Um, but, you know, I think the fascinating thing for me is where electrification, you know, I think we're going to try and electrify as much as we can um, and I think hydrogen will pick up the parts that are just too hard to electrify. Um, and, and that, you know, interesting tenants view on that. But I think uh, the, the way we've gone with solar and wind in particular in the, in the electricity sector and, uh, and the, uh, the plethora of batteries that we have now backing that up at grid scale, but also down at the community and business scale is uh, suggesting that that's, uh, that's on a trajectory that's pretty exciting, but it's kind of how far will it get? Uh, um, and, uh, you know, as tenants, I think already said there as well that as we get closer to net zero, the the um, uh, the solutions might get more expensive, might get harder to get from ninety to one hundred percent. You know, we'll do all the low hanging fruit, um, and uh, and and perhaps that's where the offset issue is as well. So I think that uh, hydrogen is. A very plausible solution for a lot of problems in decarbonisation, but it's uh, very likely to lose the battle for uh, the light transport um, uh, decarbonisation. Uh, but of course, most, if not all, of the hydrogen that we're using in 10 or 20 or 30 years' time is going to be produced using electrolysis. Uh, so in a way, it's it's all electricity in the end. Uh, the, um, the, the challenges facing our members uh, in transport and logistics who are looking for their options, they're facing the same questions as, as many businesses from investors, from customers, uh, especially uh, big consumer-facing uh, retail businesses, uh, and from their own staff, What's your plan for uh, net zero? What's your action on climate? They are looking for their options, but right now for heavy transport, uh, it is it is hard to make a financial case for uh, a hydrogen truck uh, or for some of the the early uh, heavy uh, electric vehicles. It's very dependent on the specific 
business context, uh, the, the, the time uh, that they wouldn't ordinarily hold on to a vehicle and in which they can reap some of the operational cost savings that are typically involved. Uh, so this is, a, this is a place where policy can make a, a big difference. The Victorian government's recent uh, climate policies foreshadow working with uh, fleets and with industry and, and, and logistics uh, on their pathways for uptake of cleaner vehicles. The federal government, uh, I, I would hope, will, will grapple with this over time. Uh, and uh, it, you're absolutely right, Paul, that it, it's quite unclear uh, which is going to be the best technology for these heavier transport sectors. So battery electric is uh, is being tested in, in areas where I wouldn't have expected it to be viable at all, like aviation, uh, but it doesn't seem likely that we're ever going to see a Melbourne to London flight on a battery electric plane. Uh, we may have um, Melbourne to, to Sydney flights, uh, at least for, for sort of executive jets, uh, but uh, you do need a great deal of energy density for uh, some of these heavy transport applications, for, for ocean-going freight, uh, for heavy road freight, for long-distance aviation, and we're going to continue to need all of those things, even if we can substitute some of that with localised production or with uh, digitalised uh, services uh, that uh, don't need somebody to physically go anywhere. We're still going to need quite a lot of transport, and that is a hard nut to crack. Yeah, Peter Van, Peter Van Hoovey from uh, Volvo Trucks America uh, has released some information that they are going for, in my terms, insanely efficient trucks as opposed to the hydrogen or electric vehicle um, version of it because they don't know what the answer is going to be. So what they have to do is just figure out the current science even better. And he's putting out some numbers about you know the trucks being 60% more efficient by using by capturing and reburning fuel and um, and those type of technologies, um, yeah, Tenet, I, I noticed you you missed uh, the point uh, I made earlier about how, as Australian businesses, we're going to have to be at net zero in order to trade with the rest of the world. Um, and I, I I know that your view is this might not necessarily be the case. It may be more sovereign uh, countries looking after themselves rather than businesses having to pay attention to what's happening in another country. Can you just tell me about that? Because of course I get confused. There's a lot of angles to this. So one angle is that the, the basic internationally agreed accounting framework for emissions, accounting, very boring, very important, uh, is that countries are responsible for the emissions produced within their borders. Uh, so uh, if Australia produces a bunch of emissions from transport and electricity and fuel use in the process of uh, mining a, a tonne of iron ore to send to Korea, uh, those emissions are our problem uh, in terms of do are we meeting our targets, do we need to uh, acquire uh, offsets or, or make other changes to, to stay within our targets. And Korea's problem is any emissions produced within Korea by uh, the process of turning that iron ore into a tonne of steel. Well, less than a tonne of steel. Uh, so 
on that basis, you might say, uh, well, other countries' goals uh, don't necessarily create uh, an obligation on Australia. But uh, other angles here are that countries have concerns about the competitiveness of their industries if they are putting climate um, constraints on them, if they're limiting their emissions, uh, raising the cost of, of doing emissions, uh, are they going to lose competitiveness versus places that might not have the same costs? And Australia is currently one of those places. So uh, Europe is talking about, and in a month or so, we will see some more details on a carbon border adjustment that would impose a cost at the border on uh, imports of products of, of sufficient emissions intensity for them to be concerned about them. So probably steel and cement to start with, maybe widening out to a range of chemicals, building materials, uh, maybe coking coal uh, and a few other products. So some people uh, think that the way that's going to work is that you will have to show your, your homework at the border and establish the, uh, if you want to sell a product in, that's, that's relevant into Europe, establish what the emissions were embodied in that through its whole supply chain. My, uh, my best guess is that the, the prospect of actually doing that paperwork is so horrifying that uh, the Europeans won't actually make it work that way. Uh, I think that they're most likely to use a default uh, emissions intensity based on the data that they've got on production within Europe. Uh, and that would also be legally an easier pathway for them to use. We will see, but there, it is a fact that a lot of, um, of big global companies are making their own commitments about reducing emissions across their supply chains, and they do want to see uh, good evidence from uh, their suppliers of what they're doing to reduce emissions and what pathway they've got towards net zero. So the, the, the picture is complicated. Uh, it, it may not be the case that uh, the um, the price of entry to uh, any given uh, market is going to be uh, establishing net zero, but having a good story to tell will certainly stand a business in good stead in uh, dealings with customers, in dealings with uh, national governments, uh, and in uh, engaging with their own investors uh, and uh, their own staff. I think that's the point, uh, Tenet. I, I think, yes, it is confusing, and whilst the governments argue with each other as to how net zero world's going to operate, an individual business will be at a competitive advantage if it can say, this is how I manage my carbon footprint. This is how I manage my upstream suppliers, and this is how I manage getting my product to your door, <laughs> including the transport. All of those things are managed. They might not be at net zero, but they're managed. The question that comes down to, Paul, how the hell do I do that as a business operator? How do I put in place an audited um, carbon footprint supply chain? How do I have that economics of, of net zero? Well, I think, uh, look, as I said before, there are a number of uh, services. I probably don't have the, uh, the the national picture of all those services, but I'm sure uh, people can talk to, to you, James, um, and there are state-based, there are industry-based, and there are 
um, uh, federal-based kind of uh, programs and, and advisors that can help people have those conversations, um, including sometimes there are some incentives as well then to invest in some energy, more energy efficient technologies, for example, or, or grants available or, or other, other subsidies as well. So there are, there are things for people to do. Um, but it, like in any business, you want to keep uh, uh, an idea of your customers um, and, and keep what, what are they looking to do? What, what's the environment they're working in as well? So what, you know, not just your customers, but your customers' customers. Um, and, uh, and really make sure that you're as ahead of it and as tapped in as, as possible because it will change. Um, no one, even at COP26 in, in later this year, is going to sit down and map out a strategy to 2050 and it's just going to be a roadmap that everyone's going to follow to the left all the way through. It's not going to work like that. This is going to change. The targets will change. The technologies will change. The investments will change. Um, and things are moving very fast. So it's really... I think it's very making sure that you're you're tapped in, that you're you're understanding, you're taking an interest in it, you're listening to podcasts, you're reading what's happening, uh, you're speaking to people who are within your industry or, or in other industries, talking about your industry, um, and um, and being as uh, uh, as being as well prepared as you can, and looking to do what you can directly do as well, which may actually save you money. And there's lots of cases at the moment where people can just. Uh, either hedge their energy costs or they can actually reduce energy costs. Um, and that has to be a good thing for business anyway. I think that's a great place to land, isn't it? You've, we've been able to paint a picture of it is confusing. It's confusing across multiple uh, vectors. It's confusing at state and federal government. It's confusing across nations. It's even confusing across industries where coal and steel and, and other ones are all operating at, at different paces. Um, but as individual business people, the best thing we can do is understand that it is confusing, keep in touch with what's going on via these type of podcasts uh, and speak to our, our customers, find out where they're up to, what they're expecting and when they're going to expect it. Tenet, a final word uh, to, to land this uh, first podcast? Just that uh, the big impact of and the most direct impact of other countries' net zero commitments is going to be the, the level of demand that their uh, economies produce for some of our uh, products. Uh, so the, the prospects for coal, uh, for thermal coal, for metallurgical coal, for natural gas are going to be shaped a lot more by decisions by customers than by the policies of the Australian government. Uh, and we're, we're not going to control those decisions. We're going to have to keep watching them and get ready for them. Uh, and uh, that's that's a, a, a harsh reality that we don't have control, but one that you know gives us at least some clarity uh, that what's up to us is how well we adjust to what happens overseas. I started uh, the intro by saying that this was going to become a fundamental part of the way in which we operate and view our business. Um, net zero is going to be the fundamentals of business and the way to get to net zero is through a digitalised business, I would think. On that, I think it's a good place to land. Any further comments, uh, gentlemen? I think we've covered this well. In that case, um, the, the next... Uh, podcast will be in a month. Uh, keep an eye out on uh, LinkedIn and our, uh, our web page for the, the details of the next podcast. But thank you, Tenet. Thank you, Paul. 
Have a good month.